0: that we can gather together in your presence. Thank you, Lord, that when we pray these crafted prayers and declare these crafted declarations, that you do work by the power of your Holy Spirit and that obstacles do fall and strongholds collapse. And we certainly pray that uh, here for City Temple, Lord God. We pray that everything that would hinder us and everything that would stand against us would fall. Father, as I come to you, I pray for our relationships. I pray, Lord God, that you would protect our relationships, keep us close to one another. Lord, help us to forgive freely and fully, to give grace to one another and have mercy on one another, and always give one another the benefit of the doubt. I pray, Father God, that you would weed out any miscommunication or any demonic spirit that would cause miscommunication amongst us so that our communication is open, honest, and pure. And reflects your heart uh, for each person here and our heart for one another. Father God, we pray against any spirit that would try to usurp authority or to take control or take charge uh, in an ungodly or unrighteous way. And we pray, Father, that we would submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Cooperating with one another so that we might achieve the best possible outcomes. Lord God, I pray that you would help us to be a model for all churches in London of how to live together and love together in the power of the Holy Spirit, that we can come from diverse backgrounds and uh, diverse experiences and diverse uh, economic status and, and all of this and come together freely and fully in Jesus Christ. Knit us together more and more into the body of Christ and help us to discover more and more all the promises that you have for us. I thank you, Lord God, that every promise you have spoken over our lives, both individually and collectively, is amen in Christ Jesus. And I thank you that nothing will prevent the fulfillment of your promises for us, and nothing will prevent the fulfillment of your vision for us. And Lord, we look forward to the day that you are preparing us for right now when there shall be a real multiplication of new people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. We cry out to you, Lord, for the eight million people around us, so close, so close around us, who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit, Lord God. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon them, that they might come to know Jesus Christ as Lord. Father God, pour out your Spirit upon us, so that the sick would be healed. Lord, we are, we are tired of tolerating sickness, And we want sick people to be healed. We'd even like to see the dead raised. We'd like to see demons cast out and people set free in the power of your Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord God, come and move in our hearts, move in our fellowship and make us ready, Lord. Make us ready for the spiritual babies that you are about to unfold, uh, 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 unveil, release here in London so that they can grow and become mature followers of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to be ready and help us ourselves to be mature followers of Jesus. Lord, show us what we need to learn. Show us how we need to live. Show us the choices we need to make so that we are ready to do all that you command as you pour out your Holy Spirit in the next great revival the next great awakening, the next great outpouring that is coming soon. Oh, Lord, we want it to be today, but we want to be ready for it. And so make us ready, Lord. Make us ready. Make us ready. We cry out to you and we thank you that you are God and that you have not forgotten the people of this city. And you have not forgotten your people in London. So cause your people to rise up in the power of your Holy Spirit to bring glory and honor to Jesus. And I pray especially this Advent and Christmas season that hearts would be open to hear the good news about Jesus as never before. We love you and praise you. Now, Fathers, we go to your word. I pray that you'd open it up to us, that we not only would read it, but also it would go down deep inside of us. It would be a seed in us that would grow and produce real fruit. I pray, Father God, that you'd help us not be like the path that is hard-hearted or the the rocky soil uh, that uh, is easily scorched uh, or the thorns that easily get distracted. But help us to be fruitful soil for your word today, Lord God. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would rest on me to bring your word to your people through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. We start in uh, Nehemiah. As you know, the story about Nehemiah, he's there. Uh, He's the cupbearer to the king, uh, a position of great uh, honor. He says, king, I I need to go to Jerusalem. My people are in in dire straits. So the king says, okay, go. uh, Take some guys with you. Rebuild the walls. Do that great stuff. And so Nehemiah gets on the scene here. uh, And we pick up the story there with verse 11. Nehemiah's narrating. He says, so I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, I, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night uh, by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire." Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when the When Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, servant, and Geshem, the the Arab, heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Then let's go to... uh, Let's go to Luke chapter 12 next, and then we'll end up with Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 12, starting with verse 32. Jesus is teaching here. He says this, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, and with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Stay dressed for action, and keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service. And have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And then finally to Luke chapter 1. Picking up with verse 39, we read these uh, first verses a a few days ago, a few weeks ago, but we'll read further down. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, into a town of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. From his holy word. Wow. Well, yesterday I was in a, a time of prayer, uh, as, as I do uh, in the mornings. Normally I get up and the first thing I like to do is pray. And, and, you know, frankly, it was one of those days where emotionally I was struggling. Do you ever have those days? You know, you're not really, you can't say I'm depressed or, you know, you know I'm just terrible. But at the same time, it's just like, it's not feeling right. Things are not going well. Uh, it just, it's just not clicking. Am I the only one that has days like that? No, no? Okay. All right. I'm seeing just about everybody does. There's a couple of you extra saintly people uh, who never have a day like that. But uh, for most of us, real people in the real world, we deal with this. And, uh, and it's funny because I had picked all the scriptures uh, 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 much earlier in the week. Uh, just prayed about the scriptures and things like that, and i 'm praying and i 'm struggling, and you know doubts kind of begin to to try to creep into your mind and and these experiences try to undermine your faith and you you struggle and you wrestle and you, you 're listening to worship music and you 're trying to worship you pray, and sometimes it just doesn 't seem like any of those things kind of work and as, as i 'm there and i 'm praying and, and, and interacting with the Lord and listening, I felt like the lord say. Open up to Luke chapter 1. I'm like, I know Luke chapter 1. Why, why am I to open up Luke chapter 1? Okay, maybe I'm supposed to prepare something from the, the chapter for the sermon or something like that. And so I'm wrestling and I didn't really want to do it. I was, I was more wanting to get control of my emotions and things. You know how that is. You know, we men, we deal with that especially, right? You know, it's a wrestling match. It's a struggle. Uh, but that's okay because we're men. We can handle it, right? Come on, men. Uh, give me an uh. Yeah, we can handle this. We're men. Yeah. Uh. Uh. all right. So, you know, I, so, so I'm like, Lord, leave me alone, man. I'm, I'm a man. I'm going to get control of this and then I'll deal with you. you know, just, uh, and, and the Lord is like, no, open it up. Oh, okay. So finally, open it up, put on my glasses. And it's funny in that, that pa- the, the passage, and it's part of the passage we read today and a little bit before, uh, it's all in the same two pages in, in my Bible. So I open it up, and I have two things underlined on those two pages. And just two things underlined on those two pages. So I open it up, and the first one came in the earlier in the story of Mary that we didn't read today. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and it was this passage here, Luke 1.37. For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. And. Obviously, just really spoke into my heart immediately. And then I looked on the other side of the page, and there's Luke 1.45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Uh, and immediately, things were broken in my heart. And I just saw the Lord speaking to me in ways that... You know who know who God knew when I underlined those things initially, uh, probably a couple years ago, that He would speak and He would say, "Rod, you're struggling, but nothing is impossible with God." And blessed is the one who believes in their heart that there will be a fulfillment in their heart of what was spoken to them by the Lord. Uh, And it was the word that I needed in that time. Uh, We have to learn God's goodness. And, and some even we can be talking about it, we can be even preaching about it, and it's very easy to begin to forget that God is good. It's easy to forget about God's goodness, and we need to not only remember this, but also we can actually learn how to abide in the goodness of God. And that's really part of our goal as a follower of Jesus Christ is to learn how to abide in the goodness of God, to actually be resting in the goodness of God, to be knowing the goodness of God all the time and living in that reality of the goodness of God. No matter what is happening in our lives, we can learn how to abide in God's goodness. Now, remember the, the themes that we've had so far. We've had eight themes so far, and you've got to let these permeate your mind. Uh, and so I'm going to say these things, uh, and then you'll say all the time, uh, and uh, we'll go through each one of these, okay? God is good. God does good. God gives good. God superintends good. God prepares us for good. God gives us his good spirit. God created good for us. And God holds us in good. And that's the theme of today. God holds us in his goodness. And we need to learn this and and have this really filter in every bit of our thinking, in every bit of our memory, that God is good all the time, and that nothing changes His goodness, nothing we go through, nothing we're enduring, uh, none of the circumstances of our lives, how you feel on any given morning when you get up, or you don't want to get up, Uh, how you feel throughout the day, whether you had a bad day at work or a good day at work or a bad day at school or a good day at school uh, or a bad day at university, a good day at university, a bad day at public transport, whether the central line is working or not, you got to remember that God is good all the time. That's right. So how do we do this? How do we do this? Well, two of the passages that we looked at today can really help us quite a bit. First, you have the story of Nehemiah, and this really is about remembering that God is the source of good and that God is working in this goodness all the time around us. Now, in, in Nehemiah, and, I, and I'm, I'm following a few notes today, and the reason for that is, by the way, uh, that I want to get the Christmas lunch, and the goodness of God is going to be you know, brought very forthright into our palates uh, in about uh, 45 minutes or so. Uh, and uh, and that's why I've got some notes here because if I don't have notes, I you know, I could go on this theme for about two or three hours. The meat would be burned, the vegetables would be dry, and my wife would be upset with me. So uh, you know we don't want to have any of that happening. So we can get through the lunch here. So I, I want to keep uh, keep myself focused here and uh, focus us on what the Lord is saying. And there's two primary things that come through this portion of the story of Nehemiah. First of all, we have to remember that God is the one who puts good to do in our hearts. His goodness is all around us, and he will, if you allow him, to put good things to do in your heart. And follow those good things. Follow those good activities. Uh, Follow the goodness that God puts in you, because as followers of Jesus, uh, and as followers of our Father in heaven who is good, God wants us also to do good things and to have good things and pursue good things. Uh, That's part of his agenda. But the second thing, and this is the key thing of what uh, uh, Nehemiah said, he said that God's hand was on him for good. And this is something we all need to affirm, know, and live in, that God's hand is on us for good. If we will allow him, God will steer our lives, God will direct our lives so that we go in good directions. Now, when, when I was a little kid, uh, uh, my, my, we'd walk along and as a sign of affection, I know in some cultures it's not a sign of affection, but as a sign of affection, I would have adults that, that when I was a small child, because uh, they couldn't do that now because all the adults that I know are much shorter than I am, but they, they would put their hand on my head. And it was a cool thing because they would put my hand on my, uh, their, their hand on my head as we walked through crowded places and things like that. And they would just gently steer my head so that I went in certain directions. You know, it wasn't a hard thing. You know, I I never had a broken neck or anything like that. They would just gently steer my head so that I would go in the direction that they wanted me to go. And it was a confidence that the adult was with me as well as the confidence... That I was going to go in the right direction, even if my gaze got distracted at times, even if I was looking in other different kinds of directions and things like that, you know, that I knew that the hand was on me for good. And that's the same thing with God. God's hand is on us for good. And we need to remember this and embrace this and know that God puts good in our hearts to do and his hand will be on us for good so that he will direct us, he will lead us, he will guide us in the good ways and he will protect us as we go along. And we have to remember this if we're going to abide in God's goodness. Because if we forget this, because God's hand often is gentle upon us for good. By the way, one of the things that I pray is I say, God, I I don't want your hand just to be gently on me for good. If if I'm not going in the way that you want me to go, get a little rough. Because I don't want to go the wrong way. But God's hand is on us for good. It's gently on us for good. And we can get distracted, but if we will allow him... He will guide us in the good way and put the good in our heart to do. Now, if we fight it and we walk off, God will often, he'll just stand there for a bit. He'll wait. He'll wait till we get in a mess. Ah, help me, help me, help me. And then he'll come and he might pull us out of the mess. He might wait till we're kind of up up to our nose in the mess before he pulls us out. Uh, You know, some people say that God waits to sometimes the 11th hour. And actually, they're wrong. Sometimes God waits till 1201. uh, And then he pulls us out and resuscitates us. Uh, So, you know, just we we have to understand. But God will do that. God will do that. But knowing this as well, we learn from uh, Nehemiah that we still need a realistic assessment of our situation. Nehemiah wasn't living in La La Land. Nehemiah wasn't living in a fantasy world. Nehemiah wasn't saying, "Hey, I feel great when he doesn't feel good at all." He wasn't like the Black Knight. If you've seen uh, uh, Monty Python in the Holy Grail, the Black Knight uh, who is in a, a, at a battle and he, he gets his arms and his legs cut off, you know, and says, "Come on back! I'll fight! Fight me like a man!" You know, he Nehemiah has a realistic assessment, and we have to have a realistic assessment. We can't live in a fantasy world when it comes to the goodness of God. At the same time, too, we need, as Nehemiah discovered, we need other people to journey with us and work beside us. Nehemiah could not do it on his own, and you can't do it on your own. You will not experience the fullness of God's goodness alone. You always have to be with the people of God. And too many people think that they can experience the fullness of God's goodness by themselves, disconnected from the body of Christ, and that's a fantasy. Nehemiah saw that you won't accomplish anything of any significance without other people around you. And the third thing that Nehemiah learned here as well even though the hand of God was on him for good, even though God put good to do in his heart, there will be opposition. Sometimes we're surprised when there's opposition. We shouldn't be. Expect it, expect opposition, expect challenge. Expect that some people won't like the good that God's put in your heart to do. Expect that some people will stand in your way. So what? Love them. Be gracious to them. Don't get upset with them. You know, Because if you, if you try to pick a fight with them, then God will let you fight the fight. But if you don't, if you refuse to pick a fight, then God will fight your fight. And let me tell you, God fights a better fight than we do. You know you can't win if you fight God, right? Everybody understands that. So Nehemiah discovered that God puts good to do in our hearts and that God's hand is on us for good. And then we learn from Jesus that in order to abide in God's goodness, we need to remember that God's heart for us is good. God has a good heart toward us. His heart, his desire, his passion, his pleasure is for our good. Jesus said in this passage, hey, fear not, little flock, because it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, sometimes when we approach God, we're just like, oh, God, please give me goodness. Oh, God, please, I want, I need goodness and that betrays a lack of confidence that God really wants to give you good. When we go we go to the God, God, thank you that you have intended good for me. Thank you that you've planned good for me. Thank you that you put in my heart to do good. Thank you that your hand, good hand is upon me for good. And I thank you that you will give me the kingdom because it's your good pleasure. So it's God's good pleasure to heal the sick. It's God's good pleasure to cast out demons. It's God's good pleasure to give us fruitfulness in our work. It's God's good pleasure to pour out His Holy Spirit upon us. It's God's good pleasure to see us thrive. It's God's good pleasure to see us prosper. It's God's good pleasure for all of these things in our lives. And we have to have the confidence if we're to abide in His goodness, we need to understand that it's God's good pleasure to give us all of these things. Now, God won't give it to us in a way that destroys us. That's why, I remember how we said, God prepares us for good. If God doesn't prepare us for good, then the good things will be lost. So he gets us ready. He prepares us for good. And then it's his good pleasure to give us that good that he's prepared for us. And we need to have that confidence. And then the other dynamic here. Hello, dear beautiful. And the other dynamic here is something that you could actually miss. Not only is it our Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom, but read on down in that passage. And, and says, now blessed are the servants. That's us, by the way, in this context. Uh, these are bond servants, by the way. Bond servants are people who serve out of love. They're not people who serve out of obligation or for a sense of reward, but they're serving out of a sense of love. It says, blessed are those servants who are serving out of a sense of love if they stay awake, if they're ready when the master comes, because the master's going to come at a time when they don't expect. He's going to knock the door, knock on the door and when the door is open to him, he'll come in and all the servants will serve him. No, that's not what it says, but that's what you'd expect it to say. Jesus says, That the master will come in, dress himself to serve, and have his servants recline at the table so that the master himself will serve them. You catch this, it's a total reversal of what anybody would expect. Now, who, who expects to go into work tomorrow and have the boss say, oh, hey, don't worry. I want you to sit there and I want to serve your needs as your boss. Now, there's a couple of people that might have that expectation. Most of us don't, especially people who work for me. They don't. Oh, no, well, that's another story. OK. Uh, you know, we, we, it's, it's a reversal here. And so what he's saying here, is effectively, in our context, is Jesus is saying that not only is it our Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom, but it's Jesus' good pleasure to minister to us. It's Jesus' good pleasure to serve us. Our Lord serves us. This is his heart for good, for us. But we have to remember, fear is always the enemy of good. Much of what we deal with is driven by fear of not getting the good, of missing out on it. We have a scarcity mentality. We've, we, we're afraid that there won't be enough. We're afraid that we'll miss it. We're afraid that it won't be provided for us. We're afraid, we're afraid, we're afraid. And fear will always crowd out good. And so we have to be dealing with this fear in our lives. Jesus said, fear not, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The second thing is that material goods are not the same thing as good. Material stuff is not the measure of good. He said, hey, don't focus on the stuff. You know, in fact, sell your stuff. Sell your, give your stuff away. The, the stuff you have is not what's important. And the stuff you have does not determine the measure of goodness in your life. Some of the best times of my life and some of the times when I've known God's goodness so clearly and, and so forcefully have been times when I haven't had a whole lot of stuff, a whole lot of money. That's one of the reasons why stuff and money and that kind of thing is not really important to me. As Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we need to understand with that then that how and where we focus will determine our experience of good. If you're focused on your junk, when your junk starts to fall apart, you'll start to lose a sense of good. If you're focused on your car or your house or or your looks uh, or your clothes uh, or your bank account, or whatever the stuff is in your life, if you're focusing on that stuff, when that bank account goes down, or your car breaks down, uh, or your wife gets gray, uh, or your, your body gets flabby, or whatever happens to you, if that's your focus, then you, it will kill your experience of good. You need to have the focus in the right place. And the primary focus of our lives have to be on Jesus. And we have to remember that we are responsible to stay dressed for action and keep our lamps burning so that we can open the door when Jesus knocks to experience the good he has for us. You're responsible for this. You can't just kick back and say, okay, well, when Jesus shows up, I'll get ready. You know, part of the reason why we worship, part of the reason why we read the Bible, part of the reason why we pray, Part of the reason why we come to a church on a Sunday morning when most of us would rather go to the corner coffee shop, read a paper and have a lovely croissant uh, or a pastry or something like that with a lovely cup of coffee. One of the reasons we do this is so we can be ready so that when Jesus comes and he knocks and, and, and he says, OK, I'm ready to move. I'm ready to do something. I'm ready to take action that we're ready and we can jump on it and we can experience the Father's good pleasure as he gives us the kingdom and we ex- experience Jesus. Jesus. Jesus' goodness as he comes alongside to serve us. So we have to be dressed and ready for action. We need to get ourselves ready. We need to keep our lamps trimmed and burning, which means be prepared and keep intimacy with God and keep open to the Lord and keep worshiping and praying and seeking the Lord and keep growing with Him because the time is going to come when God's ready to release His goodness, when God has prepared you for His goodness, when God has superintended His goodness in your life, when God has done all these things and you want to experience it. So you need to be ready. So we can't abide in the goodness of the Lord. We can live with this sense that God is good. God is good all the time. God gives us good. God does good. God superintends good. And God is preparing us for good. He's given us his spirit. He's created good for us. He's created good for our lives, for us to experience. And he wants us to become agents of goodness in the world. And so God will hold us in his goodness. We can have this confidence. We can abide in God's goodness continually. But to do so, we must believe his goodness. Nothing will be impossible with God, the angel said to Mary. And the Lord spoke to me. And the Lord says to you, nothing will be impossible with God. So we need to believe that there will be a fulfillment of what God has spoken to us. And then, like Mary, we surrender and say, God, my life is yours. My existence is yours. Everything that I have, everything that I am, belongs to you, for you are good. You're good, and you never change, and your goodness never goes away. Let us pray. Gracious God, I pray that you would bring us to this place of really abiding in your goodness because we know that as we surrender to you, Lord God, you will work in our lives to lead us to the goodness being revealed to us and for us. And we thank you for it and we praise you for it and we honor you for it, that you are good Now I pray, Father, that we would learn how to be a fellowship, a church that abides in your goodness. To the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.